going to sex parties or you're, or it's part of the nightclub or it's you know you end up uh, at an after party on a Sunday and it, you know, there's lots of sex going on all over the place. It, I, I really don't regret any of it. That's Brett, a very dear friend of mine who I first met when he was just 19 years old. Hi, I'm Dean Beck and on Inside HIV, my mate Brett, now 31 years old, shares his story and in his own words. Welcome to Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, VAC, working together and Vive Healthcare Positive Action Community Grants. If you feel like you need to ask me a question to bring me back on point, then you, you will do so. Yeah. yeah. My name's Brett. I'm 31 years old. I was born in Melbourne at uh, the Royal Women's Hospital. Um, as far as I know, I was um, adopted. So uh, details around my birth are fairly sketchy, but I, I do know that um, I was born at the Royal Women's and uh, spent six months in, in foster care. And then my adoptive parents uh, adopted me and uh, then obviously raised me. My mother couldn't have uh, children, which is why uh, they chose to adopt. Then shortly after adopting me, they um, fell pregnant with um, my brother, my brother, my younger brother. Um, I've heard that's fairly common um, when the pressure's off on a, on a woman to, to to have children. They adopt and then they, they often fall pregnant with um, with their own child when the pressure's off. So um, I have a younger sibling um, who is their biological son. My relationship with my younger brother... Um, as a child was um, fairly typical. Um, I was very unaware of my adoption in relation to him. I was always made aware by my parents that I was adopted, which again I think is, is, is what they recommend. But then I think when we hit puberty, obviously you sort of start to feel things a bit more acutely emotionally. Um, things started to change and, and um, you know, I, there were just your typical, you know, feelings of um, isolation perhaps or if... We were at family functions and, and relatives would say, oh, you have so-and-so's nose and you look exactly like your grandfather at this age. Um, I would always feel um, not embarrassed, but I would feel very self-conscious about it. Um, but of course, you know, after you've, you've sort of gone through your teenage years, that sort of all falls away. And I'm, I'm very, you know, very happy to say that uh, my brother and I are extremely close now. Um, we get on like a house on fire. So, schooling was uh, fairly unconventional for my brother and I. Uh, we were army brats. Um, my father was in uh, obviously the the army, um, and we moved around fairly regularly um, as he was posted. So every every two two to three years or so. So we grew we grew up um, Watsonia, Laverack, um, and then 
eventually have done Troon in Canberra. So that was fairly um, unusual from that sense. Um, I coped very well with it. Um, I enjoyed going to new schools, meeting new people, um, enjoyed, enjoyed it very much. Uh, my younger brother didn't enjoy it so much at all. He, he, he uh, found it um, being uprooted you know, uh, uh, not, not very good and, and he was very shy. But I, on, you know, conversely, really enjoyed uh, moving around a lot. Eventually in 1992 we settled in Melbourne um, when my father retired from uh, the army. And we ended up going to a, a private school here in Melbourne um, for the rest of my schooling days, which included my primary school. The transition from primary school to high school was fairly seamless because I went to the same school. Uh, uh, we had a, obviously an influx of, of new people arrive in, in Year 7, but a lot of the people we went to school with in primary school you continued on, on with at the same campus. It, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a problem at all, so it was fairly fairly seamless. In Year 7, I um, thankfully uh, met my best friend who um, had a similar surname to me, uh, who was one name away from me in the roll call. So, uh, of course, we were assigned lockers next to each other. And um, as luck would have it, we were the two gay boys in Year 7, so it couldn't have worked out better. He was on top on, on locker 125, and I was on the bottom on 124. So, My sexuality developed um, at a fairly young age. Um, I think people don't realise how young their sexuality actually develops. Um, it developed well before puberty. Um, I, I was always interested in in um sort of the male men um not not in a sexual way of course but in a in a in a curiosity way i guess um so by the time i hit year seven year eight um i was well aware that um i uh not that i was gay i don't think anyone at that stage certainly not in my family because it wasn't talked about um but there was just nil interest in women um and it seemed to be all interest in 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 men so I wasn't really sexually active um, as early as year, year seven or year eight, but um, certainly going on past uh, year eight and year nine, I sort of began to, you know, you, you start to grow and change and, and yeah, definitely um, began to be a bit more sexually active and, and, and thoughts of men definitely were featuring in my sexuality and, and just women didn't play, play a part at all. So... I think that's when I began to realise that um, I think I was probably gay. So, My relationship with my best friend wasn't sexual, actually. We had a, a, a brief fumble only once, um, ironically, at my dad's uh, 50th birthday, and um, it never went any further than that. I think we, we just, uh, I guess, we sort of realised we had a, a great deal of solidarity together and we sort of um, identified our relationship very early on as, as um, compadres and brothers rather than um, partners. Um, so we, I guess, explored being gay and growing up gay together at school, um, together, and ex shared our experiences that way. There was one more, one more chap at school who was gay as well. So there were the, there were the three of us. All three of us were um, out at school. We didn't have any problems with that. I feel very lucky, and and I I would take my hats off to the staff at, at the school at the, at the private school that we went to they were clearly aware of it looking back now they would have been clearly aware of it and they obviously had a guiding hand in 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 making sure we weren't um, bullied in any way I guess um, and we certainly weren't bullied some teachers who took an active interest in subjects we were doing and now that I look back on it they were slightly more interested in what we were doing and, and they did spend a lot of time with us um, rather than other other, other students um, 
and I, I, I would commend them actually. I, 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 you hear horror stories of, of, of children at school, you know, saying they have just awful times in high school. But we, I couldn't fault my high school at all. It was, um, it was fantastic. It used to be an all boys school, and then in the mid nineties, um, girls were introduced. So perhaps they'd had some experience in, in the previous hundred years with um, this sort of thing. <laughs> Who knows? Religion featured very prominently in my upbringing, uh, mainly because my father, when he left the army, um, became a um, Anglican minister, which is one of the reasons he left uh, the army. So we grew up initially um, in in the Pentecostal framework, um, the evangelical framework. So there was lots of um, trips to the um, evangelical sort of Hillsong type conventions. I remember going to one in Adelaide and I do distinctly, uh, when would this have been, perhaps year eight or year nine, I do distinctly remember praying uh, desperately, really praying very hard that um, God could make me not gay. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, that's, the, I think, the only time I've ever been conflicted about it. But um, so we grew up in yeah in in that Pentecostal framework, so very happy clappy, um, all that sort of thing. And then later on, um, Dad became a little bit more conservative and uh, more high church. Funnily enough, uh, my father started off in in the Pentecostal. Um, I mean, he's had his own journey, of course, that you can you can see from being in the army, um, going through. Um, he left into the Pentecostal faith, um, and then uh, due to I think he's extremely conservative, and when I say this, he, he I make him sound a little bit like a misogynist, but he he's not. Um, he did not agree with the alignment of the church in terms of uh, women's ordination and homosexuality being more accepted. So he was very much against that. So, which is why he became a little bit more um, traditional. I have uh, an incredible amount of respect for him and his knowledge. You know, I I never. I, you know, I, I incredible amount of respect for him. We don't agree clearly, um, but um, there is a, an incredible amount of uh, respect, and I would hope it would be mutual respect. But I'm not quite sure about that. Uh. In regards to being out at school, a school was a bit of a haven for me because. My parents didn't really have much to do with the school, so I was able to be out at school and not out at home. And I think teachers were very aware that of my home situation, probably more aware than I was. So maybe they they were very careful not to um, very careful to comp- compartmentalise my life and make sure they were not made aware. I, I found school very much an outlet, so. Oh yeah, I was able to be out at school and not out at home. And I did not come out at home till I was um, at least 17, 18. When I came out, I think uh, everyone has a similar experience. Your parents are well aware of it well before you are able to talk about it. Even if you're straight, your sexuality is an embarrassment to yourself. When Dad says, "Oh, I think it's time to get you, you know, a shaving kit or something like that," you're imme- you immediately go red-faced. I think, you know, regardless of whether you're gay or straight, everyone's a little bit embarrassed about their bodies. So, uh, parents are, um, no matter how um, green and 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 um, unaware you think your parents are, they are always aware. <laughs> so, may, perhaps in about year nine. Mum just asked me straight out at the breakfast table, "Are you gay?" Um, I think I, I, 
I remember my instant reaction was, oh, no, absolutely not, you know, and then got very red-faced and uh, sort of walked away from the breakfast table. Um, but it didn't really come up again until, um, and I'm, I'm sure she was just as embarrassed to say it <laughs> as I was to hear it. It didn't come up again till year 12. Um, I had started seeing a seeing someone who was a little bit older than me in his uh, late 20s, um, who I'd met through a, a all-male choir that I, I was in. We went to a performance uh, that he was directing on the way home in the car. After the show, we sort of talked with, with my boyfriend at the time and, and met some friends, and, and Mum was there, of course, watching the performance, and I think she observed how I behaved with him and how he was introduced to our friends and, and, and it was he was clearly not just a friend like my high school friend. And in the car on the way home, she was very, very quiet, very, very quiet, all the way home. Uh, just as we were pulling into the drive, uh, she said, uh, I can remember how she put it, she said, are you two um, romantically involved? Um, which I thought was a very, ni- very nice way of expressing it. Thankfully, had the, the balls to say yes. And she said, OK, well, don't worry about it, I'll tell your father. Um, which she did. The following morning, um, Dad came and sat down next to me when I was watching TV. I was still living at home at this stage and said, oh, your mother's told me that you... Um, I remember what he said, that you think you're gay. I remember he didn't say that you are gay, that you think you are gay. So, um, and he said, we'll, we'll have a chat about it um, and, and, and go from there. And that was um, 14 years ago and we've never talked about it since. Um, so uh, I think that was his roundabout way of acknowledging it. That It was all fairly painless. It didn't come out in a, you know, a huge, big, dramatic reveal. The weight was slightly lifted off my shoulders. Um, I felt, well, at least they know now I don't have to... I was still very secretive, my parents being very conservative um, from a religious point of view, and then, on top of that, very English. I don't like to, you know, rub anything in their faces. You don't want to sort of turn up at home in, you know, sort of hot pants and a rainbow flag. It's, um, it's fairly conservative at home, even for my brother who is straight, so I wouldn't attention to it really but um, it's off it was off my mind and and, and that was that finishing high school uh, was fine um, enjoyed school very much was sorry to leave me and my best friend who I'd met in year seven uh, we ended up uh, moving out together getting a house together in in Turak just your typical student student house uh, I, I went on to Monash um, as most of my other friends did and did my first degree it was just expected of you particularly going to a private school you just expected to carry on and, and do your degree it didn't really didn't have any bearing on my future employment that first degree. So, but we went on into high school and then, uh, sorry, into undergraduate studies and living out of home, which was um, a big uh, release for me in terms of breaking out from underneath mum and dad and being able to then start exploring my sexuality and um, sort of going out. I guess you could say it's pretty typical. I broke up with my boyfriend. The newfound freedom. Um, it was a freedom that I'd never experienced before. Um, so it was. Not only newfound freedom, it was first found freedom. So um, uh, it was um, really enlightening. Um, I sort of fell in with two chaps a little bit older than me who were very experienced, and they sort of um, showed me a thing or two uh, in the bedroom. And um, it was sort of a sexual awakening. And I didn't have much contact with my parents, so I started to to enjoy, I guess, enjoy your body more and 
And because of this complete release from, I guess, religion, um, conservatism, I, there was really no no holes barred for me. Um, so I guess you, I went from one extreme to being very sheltered and, and covered uh, to the other extreme of um, very promiscuous and um, really enjoying my body and, and just, um, yeah. I did spend a bit of time overseas, um, but I didn't travel uh, just yet. Um, I We stayed until I finished up at Monash. Um, and then you know all this time enjoying Melbourne, going out back when, back when the market was still there and and and, and all that sort of thing. My best friend and I from high school, we um, thought that perhaps we were a little bit bored with Melbourne. Um, so we then, I think, took um, a fairly normal step for a lot of gay boys, and that's so we we decided to go to Sydney because that's got like the mecca for for Australian gay boys. Um, so we we moved up um, to Sydney um, we got a flat in um, Centennial Park then proceeded how, uh, I would have been in my early 20s at this stage 22 actually uh, um, that's right because my 21st birthday was my last one in Melbourne so then at uh, 21 22 we moved to Sydney really started to party very hard you see Mardi Gras as a child on television um, it just seemed to be that's where as a gay guy you want to go like if you're in in America you, you know, the gay guys you, you, in a small town, you want to gravitate to New York. It seems to be where you feel included, where you can get a little bit lost in the crowd, perhaps, um, if you want to express yourself and, and really um, enjoy yourself and, and just get lost and caught up in the whole thing. Um, I think Sydney, it seemed to be at the time, of course, was, was where it was just the next bigger step, um, so is, is where we, we headed. Um, we didn't, um, me and my best friend, we didn't get jobs in our chosen fields that our degrees were in we just got temp work and um we were in our early 20s so we were just partying very hard you know taking lots of drugs and um having lots of sex well I was anyway I don't know about my my best friend but um I was certainly when I say take lots of drugs and have lots of sex on a weekend in Sydney perhaps uh, in my early 20s so this would be in the early 2000s that would perhaps be starting on Friday with um gosh I don't know it's it's certainly not reflective of what we do now but back in your in what they call it the halcyon days it would have been a bag of something on the friday a bit of something else to keep you going um on the saturday then your big night on saturday night um perhaps a recovery party um on the sunday i remember in sydney recovery parties are a huge big thing a dance party of course usually calling in sick on monday and then perhaps you might rock up to work on tuesday there was no focus on your career of course it was just temping work it was all about the party and the fun really sex um was a constant backdrop obviously to the party um uh, to anyone who's lived in sydney and, and partied hard in sydney it's um a constant backdrop you're either going to sex parties or you're or it's part of the nightclub or it's um you know you end up uh, at an after party on a sunday and it's um you know there's lots of sex going on all over the place it was um i mean i look back on the sydney days with a great big smile on my face i i I, I really don't regret any of it. I don't think I'd have the energy to do it now. <laughs> um, I have to choose choose my moments. But, um, I, I, yeah, I, I look back on them now, with, you know, with a great deal of fondness. Couldn't repeat them, neither financially nor physically, because I, I really don't know I had the energy or the money, really. Um, I'd be exhausted now. But... Um, it was um, really um, hedonistic. Um, you definitely lived for the weekend rather than the other way around. 
After Sydney, I decided to travel overseas. Had gotten into a bit of a complicating, complicated relationship in Sydney. Um, everyone has one, <laughs> and there um, were a few issues there. And parting, I think, had gotten a little bit out of control. For one reason or another, all all roads pointed overseas, and I thought I really need to change my environment. Um, I'd like to, to to get out of here. So, of course, being English, um, I had a, an English passport. So I I think one week I had just had completely had enough. Managed to scrape enough money together um, for a one-way ticket, and I think I had uh, about a hundred dollars left over. Bought a one-way ticket, and within three weeks I had left and gone one way to to the UK. Um, and, th- and that was that. I arrived in the UK uh, with next to nothing. So by the time I had changed that $100 I had left in my pocket to uh, sterling, um, it probably would have been about £40. Um, so I... I had been to the UK a number of times with my family, um, so I was very familiar with the UK. I, I wasn't, I didn't feel out of um, out of place at all. I knew I knew where to go and 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 things like that. I didn't stay in London because I felt it was a little bit too expensive and a little bit too um, a bit too full on for me. So I I was at Victoria Station. I remember, and I didn't have any money. Didn't have a job. I did have a sense of, uh, what the fuck have I done? Uh, I had stupidly gone out the weekend before I got on the plane as well, so I was probably um, feeling a little bit uh, worse for wear anyway. So I, I jumped on a train down to Brighton, uh, which, uh, for, for those of you who know, it's on the, on the south coast. Um, it's a little bit like what maybe perhaps St Kilda or Fitzroy is to, to Melbourne. It's, it's where the arts community sort of hang out, big tattoo community uh, uh, very alternative um, very green everyone rides bicycles it's, it's it's you know all whole foods all that sort of thing so it's a little bit the pace of life is a little bit easier and it's on the coast as well so I, I felt it was a little bit more relaxing jumped off the train and just uh, checked in at a uh, backpackers um, stayed there for a few days uh, while I looked for work which I managed to find funnily enough at the um, local uh, sauna so I, I went in, uh, I said, look, I've just come from Australia, is there any work? Um, and, and they said, yes, we do have work. So I, it was ideal for me, no responsibility, cash in hand, uh, yeah, it, it worked well. In Europe, I did a lot of travel. Me and the boys from the sauna, they were, it's a very small community in Brighton, so me and the boys from the sauna and the boys from the local bar would save up enough pennies to get a cheap train or flight um, over the channel to Europe. So we would do Amsterdam and, and um, Paris or, or Cologne or you know Barcelona, what have you, and then come back. So we would save enough cash, go over, party. It was very, uh, very hand. It lived very hand to mouth. Again, something I couldn't do now. But in your early twenties, it's 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 what you live for. The partying atmosphere was different to Sydney. So I find that it. I found that in Sydney, the um, the drug culture was um, really pervasive. Um, lots of what you might called class A's, so harder drugs um, in Sydney. Um, you know, your, your sort of crystal meth, a huge crystal meth culture in Sydney, um, a lot harder in Sydney, but in, in Europe it was slightly... There was a little bit of a shift in terms of the drug culture, a lot more drinking 
involved um, and then of course uh, a lot more softer drugs so I found it a little bit more social less of a toll on me I actually enjoyed myself a lot um, in Brighton I wanted to do some more travel I enjoyed Europe um, very much um, but I wanted to continue travel so I looked into um, getting saving up for a round the world ticket um, I'm not sure if they do them now but they used to do those starlight tickets where you could buy a one-way round the world backpackers ticket for either for students or under 26s which I still was at that time so provided you went all in the one direction could choose six stops so um, I, I, I chose uh, I thought maybe it might be nice to go to Canada States and then perhaps make my way back home um, and just before I was about to do that some friends of mine were going up uh, for job interviews for a major carrier a major airline in in the UK and um, they said, well, you should come as well. And I thought, well, why not? I've got a British passport. I'm entitled to work properly in the UK. So I borrowed a suit of someone, because of course I didn't have one. And I'm quite tall, so I, I, I remember going to the interview. I think the trouser legs were flapping around my ankles. I didn't expect, actually, to get um, a, a position at all. I, I went to the interview, and I thought that was that. Continued working at the sauna and um, saving up for this round-the-world ticket. And then got the letter saying, look, you've been accepted as cabin crew for this um, position. So I I decided to stay. Then I worked for the airline for the next, I guess, uh, four years or so. Sex and uh, working as cabin crew, I think, go hand in hand, um, particularly for men. There's a very funny um, picture of a female cabin crew and a male cabin crew with little speech bubbles. The lady says, I crew to see the world. The chap says, I crew for all the cock. It's a very funny and famous famous picture. You can look it up. And it's, it's very, very true. I loved uh, flying particularly to um, New York or uh, it's what I had intended to do anyway but uh, this way I got paid for it and it didn't cost me a thing. You know, any cabin crew who are listening would, would know that um, we have various derogatory terms, one of them being um, flying mattresses or air mattresses or what have you. We're not all like that, but I would say the majority are, and uh, it certainly fitted in with what I was looking for in my 20s, and it, uh, yeah, it was a very good fit. Very good fit for me indeed. <laughs> So we'll backtrack a little bit to my time in Sydney because I missed uh, um, an important um, moment. During that time, when I first arrived, I found out I was HIV positive. The news itself was not devastating to me as opposed to other people who I had seen be diagnosed and they, they took it very hard indeed. 23, I think, 22 or 23, um, I, there's a big question mark over exactly when I would have contracted it because um, I wasn't uh, getting regular testing. So I could possibly um, have contracted it in Melbourne and taken it up to Sydney with me or I, I could have got it in Sydney. So I had gone to a hospital in, in Sydney uh, for just a routine um, operation and during that time the doctor, uh, when I was uh, recovering, um, she came in and um, she said, have you 
been for a blood test recently? And I said, no, no, I haven't. And she said, well, I, I strongly recommend that you do, uh, which I thought was a bit odd. So I, I went for a test then and then, of course, um, got that news. Like I said, it, wasn't, it never featured, it never really registered on, on a scale for me because I was very lucky uh, in Melbourne socialising with people who were already living with HIV AIDS and they seemed to live very full, rich and very professional lives and I saw them live their lives and it never impacted them in any great way. Um, also I was from, uh, I am from uh, a generation that was not exposed to the Grim Reaper and I think the dark days of HIV AIDS. I'm just speaking for myself here. It, it never really had the weight behind it that perhaps it would have done for people who are a bit older than me, who who may see it a little bit more seriously and obviously who would have lost um, loved ones and what have you. So I really saw it as, as something not, you know, not, not very much a big deal. At 22 years of age, it was not really an issue for me. Uh, it didn't. It didn't impact me at all. I don't really know how to explain it. I wasn't nonchalant because after that I started going to doctor's appointments um, and, and getting checked regularly. But I think at 22 you are. You definitely think uh, you're invincible. <laughs> um, and I kept going to repeated doctor's appointments, and my CD4 was always. Um, I mean, it was over a thousand um, consistently. In terms of seroconversion, I remember being out at the Peel of all places just before. We went to Sydney, and um, I, I rarely get sick. I don't really get colds and that sort of thing. But I remember that night um, having to go down and lie, uh, go and lie in the back of someone's car because um, I was sweating. Um, I hadn't taken any any you know chemicals or anything. It was just a, a night on the booze, and I just felt absolutely awful. I was sweating, shaking, um, aches everywhere. I said to my friend Kylie, I have to go and lie down in the back of the car. I feel absolutely awful. It lasted perhaps um, until the morning. Kylie drove me home. I went to bed. I woke up completely gone and then um, got back on the road, back to work, and, and I never thought of it since. But in hindsight, I, I think to myself, do you know what, that... that it seemed it was very unusual. It was a very unusual experience, and I'd never experienced anything like that before or since. Um, so I, that's where I put my finger on on it. Um, so I, that's where I think I, I Sarah converted in Melbourne, um, but obviously didn't get tested, you know, until I, you know, a year years later in Sydney. Well, so now at thirty-one, I've been living with um, HIV/AIDS for. You know, approaching 10 years, must be due for my anniversary soon. It's been fairly non-eventful. I don't know whether I am unique um, from that point of view. I seem to be fairly resilient physically. Um, I Again, I don't get colds very often. Um, the only time it was an issue was when um, in the UK, uh, maybe perhaps I think three, four years ago, five years ago maybe, my uh, CD4 dropped um, to that's that point um, where going on medication uh, was required. I sort of spent a very, you know a long time without the need for medication, so of course I thought I was invincible. I thought, ah, oh, I can, I can lick this thing. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. This, uh, you know, it's not not a, not an issue at all. And then that was a bit of a blow because um, I thought, oh no, here we go. This is um, the beginning of the end. So I was put onto um, a tripler, which I am still on now. It's a, a combination of um, of, of three. Um, antiretroviral drugs. I could not tell you what they are. I, I, that's really terrible. I really should know that. But um, yeah, they're, they're like um, they're a little, little bit like um, multivitamin Centrum tablets. They're quite 
large um, and you just take uh, one a day. I don't work for um, Bristol-Myers Squibb or a Tripler, but I cannot sing their praises highly enough because I do know lots of people who have those big pill boxes at home and, you know, they have to take them at morning and night um, with food, without food, and it's quite... You know, their pill load is just... It's, it's quite, um, quite heavy and stressful for them. Sex as an HIV-positive person in Melbourne today, I manage that... I'm not in a, in a in a committed relationship, so um, casual sex is the, the name of the game at the moment, of course. Um, I disclose my status fully all the time, and I'm fairly open about it. I'm not fairly open about it, actually completely open about it, uh, which I think is the only way to be. Um, I know that a lot of people aren't, but I I think if you're, you're open about it straight off the bat, um, people know what they're getting, and you. I, I just feel feel more comfortable with it. I've never really experienced any rejection um, of being HIV positive. That is probably because where I look for sexual encounters tends to be within the HIV positive community, I think. Um, you know, I'm not on Grindr, um, I'm not on uh, you know, Gaydar or, or any of those uh, sort of hookup sites um, where I think if I was, I would probably run into that a little bit more often. Um, and I know people do. I mean, I've, I've heard some awful stories of, of people being really um, gotten at and, and, you know, sort of had shreds ripped off them um, for, 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 for being HIV positive. But thankfully, I have never experienced that, mainly because I tend to play or have sex really with only other people, with only people who are also HIV positive, because it just takes away the complication. And that's a personal um, preference, really. My confidence with disclosure um, was there right from the beginning. Again, I think that's to do with the people I was surrounded by at the time. And perhaps now I can feel a bit blessed about that. The people I was partying with in Sydney, um, a lot of them were HIV positive. I remember when I did get my diagnosis, um, an older guy um, said, "Look, oh, look, why don't you come up? Why don't you come with me? I'll drive you down to your first doctor's appointment um, and sit with you through it. If you don't understand what they're talking about in terms of viral load and CD4, and this is someone I just met at a club. It wasn't a good friend or anything. It was just someone I knew from partying. And he he drove me down. He took me to his own doctor, um, uh, which was up at. Uh, Taylor Square Private Clinic on Taylor Square and he sat with me and asked the appropriate questions on my behalf um, and really sort of took me under his wing a little bit uh, so I felt like I was in very good company with my with my HIV and I had friends who who were of all different ages so again I feel lucky that being around those people gave me the confidence to not feel scared about disclosing and I know a lot of people do feel scared about disclosing and I know plenty of people who don't disclose at all because they've had really awful experiences um I've I'm famous I think I'm famously um confident about disclosing again if friends of friends if they find they have just been diagnosed um often I will say look give them my number I'm very happy for them to call me I can have a chat to them about it you know um it's just it's just never really been an issue (laughs) HIV has not held me back whatsoever in any um, aspect of my life. Um, it's just, it's been a slight adjustment. At 31, 
but still relatively young. I don't know. Maybe that will change in the next 10 years. But uh, currently, uh, for, for the last 10 years, it has not, not really affected me um, at all. It has affected um, some relationships. Uh, I was in a uh, serodiscordant relationship uh, for quite a while, which I was uncomfortable about, and I probably uh, will not repeat. And I will probably, if, if I do have another relationship, it will be one where we're, you know, both on the same page. Um, but apart from that, apart from that issue, um, no, it's it's never never been an issue. It's never been an issue with work. It's never been an issue professionally. It's 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 been absolutely fine. <laughs> but I know my story isn't common. I know people really have had a hard time. I've never needed the support of any. HIV um, a, uh, positive agencies. Um, in terms of, of contact with these agencies, I have offered, I've, I've done the other, I've done the other thing. I have offered my services in terms of volunteering because I know my story is is unique, and, and I've I've offered you know to work as a volunteer, um, particularly at the Sussex Beacon or um, uh, other convalescent places um, for people who aren't as uh, fortunate as I've been. You know, because you have that mentality of there, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, it could have been very different for me. So I, I do have uh, some contact with, with agencies, um, but it, it's from a point of view of helping out. If I could uh, speak to the 20-year-old uh, me, I probably wouldn't speak to the 20-year-old me because I probably wouldn't like me very much. Um, but um, to anyone at that age um, currently who, who is 20 and partying very hard, um, having lots of, of sex, whether it be protected, unprotected, uh, under the influence or otherwise, I would say go for it if, if that's what you want to do, if that's what makes you feel sexy, if that's what you're enjoying. But don't be naive I think I may have been a little bit naive. Uh, but secondly, just take responsibility for what you're doing and, I guess, own it um, if, you, if you choose to. It's completely up to you, but you need to think about... You need to perhaps add 15 years onto your life and think, where will this put me in 15 years' time? At 31, everyone sort of, I think, changes uh, when they hit 30. So um, <laughs> I think the party days are... Every weekend party days are definitely behind me. Um, I, I do like to... Um, I think you, you refine your model of, of partying. So you, you get your your process down to a fine art. So you, you know which w weekends to party and which to not. You get the machine oiled very well. Um, you have your process. So I will I will still party when the occasion arises, but it's, it's normally planned and, and worked into my month or, or something like that. Um, and then, of course, the shift has been uh, changed for, to my career now, and I'm back at, back at school studying um, a different degree now, uh, which is a, a world, world away from my, my first one. But um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change the last ten years uh, for for anything, everything, including my diagnosis, including all the mischief I got up to at twenty in my early twenties. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't swap that for anything. And yeah, you know, some people might say there were mistakes made, and I would. I would definitely uh, agree. But I, on the whole, I can look look, look at it uh, with a, a giggle and a smile. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Um, I'm sharing my story today because I do know that um, 
some people can get a bit down about their status. Um, I know it's not friendly out there. It's not friendly at all. Um, but your attitude to life, it can be a positive one if you if you want it to be. You don't have to be secretive about it. You, you can be open about it. And I think the more open you are about it, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, the more true you are to yourself. It's it's It really does take a load off. And um, I, I am just here to say that it's um, never been an issue for me. And um, I enjoy every aspect of my life uh, even being living with HIV yeah it's never been an issue and um, I'd just like uh, people to know that I hope you enjoyed Brett's story today and if you did please rate this episode on iTunes and share it with your friends subscribe to the program too so that you will be the first to know when a new episode is posted I'm Dean Beck Stay positive. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, the AC working together, and Vive Healthcare Positive Action Community Grants. Follow us on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook. Visit InsideHIV.net or download from iTunes. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Are we done? Did that cover everything?